God, truly You are great. Truly You are all the things that we have sung this morning. We do seek to crown You with many crowns, Lord, because You and You alone are worthy. We come to this portion of our worship service, Lord. We've already sung Your praises. We've already given of our tithes and our offerings. Father, now we turn our attention to Your Word and Your Word alone. God, we ask that You would speak in spite of a weak and frail preacher. God, that Your words would go forward, that mine would be stopped. Lord, for those of us who need to be pierced to our very hearts, Lord, to the division of soul and spirit, that You would pierce us by the power and the sharpness of Your Word, that You would convict us, Lord, that You would challenge us to keep the faith and to turn to You. Lord, but also for those who who are among us, Lord, those of us who need Your strength and Your courage, we ask that You would give them comfort and encouragement like only You can. Father, Your Word and Your Word alone is able to do these things, so we ask this. Through the precious name of Jesus the Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father Almighty in heaven. Amen. Amen. This morning we'll be continuing in our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. We will be picking up in Hebrews 4 and reading the end of Hebrews 4 and the beginning of Hebrews 5. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to take it and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. In the New Testament, you go through the letters that Paul wrote. You get through First and Second Timothy and Titus. You'll get to a small book called Philemon. Right after that will be Hebrews. If you go to the book of James, you went one too far. Just back up a little bit. As you find your place in sacred scripture, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now at the book of Hebrews, beginning in chapter 4, Verses 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. The word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet Without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed By him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears 
to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, there have been many things that we've already talked about in the book of Hebrews that the author wants us to be aware of. The author wants us to keep in the forefront of our minds. Remember that Jesus is far superior to any angelic being. Jesus is not a created angelic being. Jesus is not some demigod or some God with a lowercase g. He is God of the same substance, of the same essence, and He was begotten eternally by the Father. Jesus supersedes the Mosaic covenant. He is better than Moses. He is the new Moses and even better than Moses. And now, this week, we look and see that Jesus is the new Aaron. You see, all of this is very important, but we get caught up in a lot of the details, a lot of the, the high priestly language, and sometimes you, you're tempted to speed through this. Okay, yeah, Jesus is a high priest. I get it. That's important. He goes in there, and he makes the offering, and that's good, and we're, we're saved, and we're preserved, and he's, he made the sacrifice for us. That's great. Move on. I don't really understand all that language. It's talking a lot about Old Testament This was written to people who were Jewish. They would get that, but, you know, I I don't really need to. I beg you, as you read through Scripture, slow down at this part in Hebrews, because just as we looked at in the Sunday school lesson, all that was pictured in Leviticus was designed to show us what Christ would do when Christ came. And so Hebrews is pointing back to the Old Testament law, to the Mosaic Covenant, to what Aaron had to do. You guys have to remember that God's concentrated presence, that God's concentrated presence is so powerful that it would burn us up from the inside out. Remember, it's so powerful that even Moses, who begs and says, Lord, would you please reward me by just letting me see your glory? I just want to see your glory. God says, okay, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by. And once I'm gone, then I can let you look at the backside of my glory. But any more than that, Moses, and you will die. You remember as they brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of Jerusalem, the first time they tried, they did it the wrong way. They put the Ark on a cart. And as they brought the cart, it kept hitting bumps and and jostling this way and that. And the Ark looked like it was about to fall. And this good man who was well-intentioned named Uzzah, he reaches up and he grabs the Ark. And I want you to know, as soon as he touches that Ark, boom, he falls over dead. Because the concentrated presence and holiness and power of God was there within the ark. And Uzzah could not handle it because we are all sinners. The fact that sin is embedded within us is the reason that we cannot stand in God's holy presence. God is so holy that His holiness would consume us in our normal, natural, sinful state. That's what happened and why Moses had to be shielded. Even Moses, because he was sinful. That's what happened to poor Uzzah, who was trying to do something good, but was not prepared to encounter the presence and the glory of God. 
So many of you that have grown up in church, you may be familiar with this story. But as Aaron was appointed the high priest, he was the one who went on Yom Kippur, which just means Yom means day. Kippur means atonement, the day of atonement. So once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where the ark was kept in the Old Testament. They would go through those curtains and through those veils. First, they'd have to offer a sacrifice for their sins. They'd have to become ritually and ceremonially clean. And they'd also have to take a bath. So it's, it's double purpose here, okay? The Lord didn't want them coming into His presence all smelly. So they did take a bath. They were ceremonially clean and they were clean. Baths were not as common back then as they are today, okay? It was important that they take a bath. So He gets clean. He makes His sacrifice. And then, with fear and trepidation, works His way through the courts of the temple. And works his way back to where the veil was the final divider between the concentrated presence of God's holiness in the temple. And this was such a dangerous task that put bells on him. You know, have you ever wondered when your kids are running around, like, we've got to put a bell on that kid so I can hear when he's coming or when he's going. Have your kids ever surprised you, especially in the middle of the night? You know, you like wake up and there's your kid and his face is just like a foot away from your face. I love my child to death, but for some reason I think he's about to attack me and kill me. And you wake up, ah, oh my goodness, somebody put a bell on the kid so we can hear where he's going. That comes from a little bit of put a bell on the high priest. Because we got to know whether or not he falls over dead. If the high priest was not worthy, if the high priest had not offered the sacrifices appropriately, and the pure and spotless lamb had not covered the high priest with the blood, then that high priest with fear and trepidation and bells ringing on his belt, steps into the Holy of Holies, moves the curtain. When they get in there, and then you'd hear, because he fell. And they'd go, well, we lost another one. Jason, you were next in line, brother. Suit up. It's a dangerous task because God's presence and holiness Is that powerful? That's why we cannot be permitted into heaven, into paradise, into the very presence of God without our sins being cleansed. Because our sin is direct disobedience. It's direct violation of God, God's law, God's principle, what is good for us. We decided long ago with Adam and Eve, and it has been passed down to all of us, God, I'm not going to trust you to be God. I want the knowledge of good and evil for myself. I want to be God for myself instead of trusting God. It's direct rebellion, and God cannot have that in His presence. So this is extremely important. And He says here in Hebrews that Jesus has been appointed to the high priestly position. And even more so than Aaron could ever fulfill because Jesus was perfect in every way. We talked about this a little bit when we were in Hebrews 2. This is what the author was alluding to. What he says there in verse in chapter 4, in those verses beginning in verse 15, he says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You see, Jesus became human to sympathize with every weakness and every temptation that we have. And yet was sinless. Jesus didn't have to offer any sacrifice. He didn't have to go get a single lamb. He was in direct communication with the Father, perfect and sinless for His entire life. 33 years of perfection 
and an absence of sin in his heart, in his mind, in his actions. He fulfilled in every way the role that was required by the high priest. Because God's glory otherwise would have consumed this nation of people that He chose for Himself to be a light to all of the world. He did not want that nation consumed. And He needed someone to stand in the gap. And all of that was a picture to scale of what Jesus does, not for one nation, but for everyone who has ever been born. Jesus stands in the gap. He's the one that goes to the Father and mediates for us. We read in Romans chapter 8 this incredible process of us praying and reaching out to God. And the Holy Spirit understands what we're thinking in our heart and in our head, even when it doesn't match what we're saying. And the Holy Spirit takes these prayers and interprets them to Jesus the Son. God the Spirit takes our prayers, interprets them to God the Son, who is seated at the right hand of the Father and is the only one who has the authority to stand in the presence of God the Father and says to God the Father, hey, there's another prayer coming your way. Hang tight. Let me get it translated from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's doing what Romans 8 says, groanings that we can't even begin to understand. I don't know why, but I always think of it as like whale sounds. Like, I don't know that the Holy Spirit's doing whale sounds, but we're praying and I just... Have you ever heard, have you ever watched Finding Nemo? Like, I just am imagining the Holy Spirit speaks whale to Jesus. I don't know why, but it's something that we can't understand. And Jesus knows whatever these groanings are that are now our prayers and interprets them to the Father for us. Is this not incredible? This is something to be excited about, that God made a way for us to communicate with Him, not because He needs to. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need you and me to pray to Him. He wants to hear what we have to say. He knows the prayer before we pray it, and yet... He made a way for us to always have access to Him. Look with me and continue in the verses. So that we can go with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace. For what purpose? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, God doesn't need us to pray to Him, but He knew we would need help from Him. And so He made a way for us to approach with boldness, with confidence, to come before Him at any hour, at any time, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we are, there is a way because of Jesus for us to approach the Father. Whether we're going into a big test, whether we're about to operate an oil rig or a crane, whether we're about to operate heavy machinery, or whether we've lost our keys, we can go before the Father, He made a way because He knew that we would need mercy and grace. You understand that God is so merciful. He had to create a vehicle by which we would receive His mercy. That in itself is an act of mercy. We don't deserve any vehicle to access the Father to receive that mercy, but He provided it for us. Even in the provision of us being able to approach Him, God is proving Himself to be merciful and kind 
and gracious. Jesus did not seek out this position, it says in verse 1 of chapter 5. Every high priest is chosen. Aaron was appointed. Listen, nobody signs up to be the guy that goes in and finds out whether or not you're going to die trying to offer the sacrifice once a year, okay? That's, that's not the job you sign up for. That's the job you're appointed to. When I drop dead, y'all would look at Jason and go, we appoint Jason, he's the next one. And Jason goes, really? God, that's okay. I promise we're, we're, there's not anybody else. Y'all want to draw straws or nothing? Nope, we appoint you, Jason. You're elected. Get to it. Nobody sought out this position because they understood how daunting of a task it was. And Jesus, in the same way, did not seek out glory, did not seek to be exalted. He was humble in every way, perfect in every way. And yet God the Father appointed Christ to be this high priest and offer the gifts and the sacrifices for our sins so that he could deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Look, this might not be you. You might not be comfortable enough to acknowledge it. But I I just want you to raise your hand if you're comfortable enough to be grateful that God made a way to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Because that is me all day long. I am ignorant and wayward, and God made a way to deal gently with you and me. If we're ignorant and wayward, He's not harsh, He's gentle. He's so merciful, He made a way to deal gently with us instead of burning us up where we stand or zapping us with a bolt of lightning. God doesn't sit around and say, let me just give cancer to this person. He is looking for ways to deal with us gently and love us and shower us with grace and mercy. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, all right? Just as he does for the people. But then no one takes the honor and it's Aaron who does this. So Christ did not exalt himself. Over and over again in Scripture, you can read through the Gospels where God calls out from heaven, and says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Do you remember when John the Baptist baptizes him and the heavens themselves open up? The spirit descends like a dove. All of this is one. Our God is one, but is a trinity. And the trinity is on full display in this passage this morning. And in the passages where Jesus is baptized, the spirit descends and rests on Jesus like a dove. And the voice of the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Announcing to all those who were within earshot, this is the Messiah. And here's what's amazing about it. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because I have no idea why the author of Hebrews also likes to say quotes in this way. The author knew where this came from. He knew Psalm 110, all right? But he says, and also in another place, The other place is Psalm 110. What we just read this morning. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that that might not seem like a very big deal on the surface. But folks, I want you to be aware that nobody else can hold the title of the high priest of Melchizedek other than Jesus. You see, nowhere else in the Old Testament is there somebody who is like Melchizedek. His name means my king of righteousness, the king of righteousness. And he was the king of the city of Salem, which would become Jerusalem. The root word for Salem is peace. So the king of righteousness rules over the city of peace. And so Melchizedek is the only one recorded in all of Old Testament history, in all of our Old Testament records, in all of Israelite history, who was both king and high priest. Those were two very distinct 
offices. Moses was not appointed to lead the people and be their high priest. Moses led the people and Aaron was their high priest. As far back as you can go in the sacrificial system, there was always a high priest who made atonement for the sins of the people and a leader who led the people. Two completely separate roles because no one was worthy of holding both of those titles simultaneously other than this strange character who shows up mysteriously and disappears just as mysteriously known as Melchizedek. And in Genesis, as Abraham is leaving a victory, a victory that God provided for him, Melchizedek shows up and it tells us he's the king of Salem. And Abraham recognizing the authority and the power that is held in this one man's position gives Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoil and Melchizedek never even asked for it. The king of righteousness who rules over the city of peace confronted Abraham and Abraham said, why don't I just give you 10% of the spoil of everything that I've just gotten? Because God delivered it to me and for some reason you have a connection with the Father that I don't quite understand so I'm, I'm going to make this offering to you because I, I don't really know what else to do. Listen, there are plenty of people who argue that Melchizedek is an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before Jesus was born. There's these various places in the Old Testament where somebody who looks kind of like Jesus and fits the description of Jesus shows up mysteriously and disappears mysteriously. You remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace that had been heated seven times hotter? And it says that there were four in there and not three. And the fourth was one who looked and had the appearance of God. A lot of people think that Jesus was probably in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A lot of people think that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate, that means before he was born in flesh, appearance of our Savior, Jesus. That it's possible without Abraham ever have knowing he might have run into Jesus as Melchizedek. And nobody else in all of Scripture even comes close to holding the position that Melchizedek holds until Jesus comes along. What we saw in Psalm 110 this morning is David saying that only the Messiah, only the one who would deliver the people could be a high priest along the same lines as Melchizedek. There's nobody else that could be born aside from God's anointed Messiah who would deliver the people who could take up the mantle of Melchizedek. That's what Psalm 110 is telling us. Folks, this is monumental for our relationship to the Father. God has made a way and provided a Messiah. And everything in the Old and New Testament points to Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, being the Messiah. Everything from the most subtle detail to the most obvious road sign points to Jesus. And it might not seem like a very big deal, but when we consider how big God really is, it becomes extremely important that God made a way for us to communicate with Him, to be in His presence. I just Let's watch a quick video I have, alright? It's, it's a few minutes long, but hang in there. This is showing us the scale of the universe that God created. As you watch and see how big the universe is, I want you to keep in mind how much bigger our God must be to have spoken all of this into existence. Watch with me. 
common estimation by most renowned scientists is that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on earth. Counting every grain of sand underneath the ocean, all-inclusive, more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on earth. And yet, there are more atoms, one grain of sand, than there are stars in the universe. And our God is so big and so small all at the same time that He exists in between the space, between the nucleus and the electrons and protons and everything in the atom, and between all of those galaxies and everything in between. Our God is the one that said, Be, and all of that, and then whatever else we can't see, was blown into existence. They talk about a big bang. His voice, when He said, Let there be, must have sounded thunderously like a bang. Because our God created all of that. And while that same huge God holds galaxies in one hand, your name and my name are graven in the palm of the other. And the same God who's bigger than all of that put a high priest in place so that he could be approachable for us. So that when you can't find your keys and you're lost and you're looking, you're going, uh, uh, Lord, I'm late for work and I, I gotta be there and they're really expecting me. I got people that are dependent on me and I don't know where I put my keys and I gotta find my keys. God, please have mercy on me and help me find my keys. While the Lord holds galaxies in one hand, the Father says, Hey, do you, do you remember your son Nathan? He's having trouble getting to work this morning. He's asking that you bring the hidden things of darkness to light. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, you remember, you wrote that, Lord. You know what it says there. Could could you help Nathan out and, and show him where his keys are? And the one who holds all of that in his hands will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. And if he'll answer prayers that small and that seemingly insignificant, how much more so do you think that our God is actively listening for those who would call out for the very first time and say, God, I know that you are real. I know that you are the one true living God and that you created everything. And I understand that I am a sinner. And it's only by the blood of Jesus, the one who died, who you raised from the dead, that I can even speak to you right now, God. And so, Lord, I'm praying that you would help me to repent and turn from my sin and turn to you. And we're told in Scripture that the Lord hears every one of those prayers and all the celestial hosts and angels and everyone throw the hugest, biggest party that has ever been seen at one soul who repents. All while our Father stops black holes from consuming other galaxies and keeps huge stars from colliding into one another and keeps our planet in just the right place so that life can exist and we don't all fly off into space. Yes, our God is scary and powerful and holy, but He's so merciful and so gracious that He put a system in place that He might be approachable. And I wonder this morning, how often do you approach Him and ask for the mercy and grace that He has made a way to pour out on your life. How often do you seek Him genuinely? And maybe you're here this morning and you're one of the ones who've never cried out that first prayer that says, God, I repent. I believe. And I'm sorry. Help me. He's always listening. Whenever you're ready to pray that prayer and give your life 
to Him. He's never too busy to hear what you've got going on. No matter your struggle, or if it's the very first time to call out and ask to be born again. This morning can be that time for you. We're going to sing a song again here in just a moment after I pray. I encourage you to respond in faith. That means if you need to come down to these steps, this is going to be a judgment-free place. And you can cry out and say, God, I need your mercy. Or you can come forward and say, Preacher, I've never talked to God before and I need to repent and trust in Him. Let me pray for us and then however the Holy Spirit moves, you respond in obedience. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, You are great. And even now, as You keep stars and planets and galaxies in orbit throughout all of the universe, You hear us at Bethany as we cry out to You. Thank You, Lord, that because Jesus is our High Priest, You hear us. Thank You that You made a vehicle and a way to bestow mercy and grace upon us because, Lord, we acknowledge and we know that we are hopeless and helpless without Your mercy, Your grace. We deserve death. We deserve destruction. But because You are so slow to anger Because you are so loving and kind, you made a way to redeem us. Lord, I pray that you would draw us into your presence by the blood of Jesus. That we might experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That those who are weak, Lord, you would make them strong. Those who need comfort, that you would comfort them. Those who need conviction, that Lord, now your Spirit would divide even soul and spirit. Father, we ask for you to move during this time. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.